0: Welcome back. That's Brendan. I'm Parker. And this is Lobby Concessionals, the movie podcast where nobody's right and everybody's wrong. Take a look at those buttons on your screen there. Uh, Like, subscribe, follow, and check out our socials and our websites. Uh, Today, we're joined by Sean. Thanks for coming, buddy. Yeah, stoked to be here. I think as far as our release date is concerned, uh, this is your first episode. Uh, So, sorry to... Foreshadowing. Yeah, it threw me (laughs) off. Oh, boy. (laughs) Um. uh, So yeah, thanks for being on the show. Uh, We have not figured out what we do for merch for our guests, so you aren't going to get anything for this appearance.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I might buy you like a milkshake or something later. Nice. Okay, Okay. that's merch for sure. We we set a
0: standard, so that's good. Um, today we're going to do our first episode of Under the Influence with a guest. Uh, so we decided to bring on Sean, so we can discuss his favorite director. Um, Sean, I did, did gave you zero warning that I was going to do this, so. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, who would you say your favorite director is? So
2: I, I've been actually thinking about this since you did Guillermo del Toro. Mm-hmm. I was like, who would I do? And yeah, I think I landed on Chris Nolan. It was a bit of a tough debate in my head of like, okay, what all directors would bring me to a movie? And there's Guillermo del Toro, Quentin Tarantino. I'll see because he directed it. And the other one that came to mind was the Coen Brothers. Oh, nice! Okay. But then I figured I haven't seen a Coen Brothers movie in quite a while, actually. Fair enough. Even though I love them.
0: Yeah. Isn't so, the last one like Inside Lewin Davis? Lewin. Lewin Davis. That's the last one I remember. Yeah. Because I yeah, think like they literally just might not have put out. Because no, I think no,
1: they've split up and they've done. One of them has done a solo movie.
0: Oh yeah.
2: Wasn't there one with George Clooney? And it was like a Roman play or something.
0: Oh, Hail Caesar. Hail Caesar. Caesar. Oh, I thought that was before. No, No, it wasn't. Yeah. Okay. But
2: yeah, ultimately, Chris Nolan was what came to mind because I pretty much watched all his movies. And honestly, he was kind of the first director I started to recognize the name of as well. So yeah, I landed on him in the end
0: for sure. And I think that's exactly what we're looking for. You know, like our first couple episodes of Under the influence or the very first one in particular, we talked about Kevin Smith and it's not because it's Brandon's favorite director currently, but it's because he was the one that really introduced him to, uh, a, like really grew your love for film. Yeah. So I, I think the first director you recognize the name of is, you know, exactly right in the pocket there. That's what we're, what we're looking for. You know, uh, that, that grows your development with film. Um, well, that's perfect here uh, because as those are watching that are watching on YouTube can recognize you uh, like Christopher Nolan just a little um, bit. Yeah, yeah. So that's two that. out of three posters we have are him, so that's good. Uh, and David O. Russell's holding up his side on the other end there. So keep it up, buddy. Um, Amsterdam looks great. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, 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 the new yeah. David Russell film. Yeah, 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 yeah it does, it yeah, does. I'm into it. Nice to see you. too. I think that's how we took it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, another question to put you on the spot here. Um, just to kind of get a, a flavor of what you like with um, with Nolan, um, what would you say is his best film uh, in terms of, you know, filmmaking? Uh, and what would you say is your favorite of his films? Ooh, Out of the gate.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, Ugh. I want to get a, get a flavor, you yeah, know. No, no, absolutely, it's great. And
0: we can actually, if it's better for you, we can ask this question around afterwards as well. Yeah, right? it'd Both be like uh,
1: when you're in, uh, when you're flustered at a restaurant and you haven't looked at the menu and everybody else is ready
0: to go. Yeah, you want to go around the table and you can ask. Oh crap, you no, no, answer? no, we're not going first. Yeah, uh. <laughs> I don't want to establish something. I'm just saying that if it makes you feel better, we'll all do it. Try to save you, buddy.
2: <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Okay, so I found this really tough to think about. Sure, because. They're also different, and there's a variation of his vision in each one as well, I think. Okay. So looking at a movie like Inception, that is Chris Nolan from start to finish. Yeah. Batman, Dark Knight might be his masterpiece in most people's eyes. It's not quite his vision from start to finish like Inception would be. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm struggling with it. I think I settled on Memento. Ooh. I think it's it's so simple compared to the rest of his movies. Yeah. But I think it's one of the most beautiful just storytelling things he's done, I guess. It's yeah. this, the story he tells so simply, but so perfectly with just going backwards and kind of meeting in the middle for the climax at the end. Sorry, going backwards and yeah. forwards and then meeting in the middle at the end. And just taking the viewer for a ride through all of that. Like you aren't familiar with the story before. So it just puts you perfectly uh, in Leonard's shoes sorry the protagonist yeah so it it puts you in his shoes so well because you see his notes and it's like don't believe his lies about um teddy yeah it's like okay i don't trust teddy and it just takes you so well through this story of being in his shoes and then by the end being like wow he's a horrible dude yeah yeah, i started out absolutely rooting for this guy being like oh I hope he solves it. I hope this all figures out. And,
1: and it turns out you're the piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: And so I also think that movie was the first movie that ever blew my mind. Like oh, I feel sure. like at the time, I'd, I'd mostly just seen your typical, like, I, don't, I guess Hollywood movies a little harsh, but just kind of, it you goes through the story. There's your happy ending, you know, your sad side. Yeah, totally. And exactly. then my brother had said, Oh, you got to see this movie. Like it starts at the end and kind of works its way to the start. And I very naively went, what's the point? <laughs> you know everything that happens. Like, why would I watch this? And yeah. then I ended up watching it and I was just like, okay, wait, this is different. This is something else. Sure. Yeah. So I think it was the first movie that also opened my eyes to, I guess, what storytelling can be in movies in yeah. a lot of ways. So it holds a deep place in my heart. Maybe I'm biased in that way.
0: No, well, that's, exactly that's exactly what it should be. Well, and like, I, don't, I think it's the only movie I can really think of that actually uses filmmaking techniques to first of all put you in the shoes of the protagonist but secondly to um uh, like it, in in such a successful way um because it is a massive part of the narrative like that that story sucks if it's played traditionally you know beginning to end um and and there's not a lot of other movies i find that um tuck away a, a twist and reveals in the film um using filmmaking techniques like that you know you like could argue
1: usual suspects mm-hmm. uh to a really, really like you'd have to argue it. Yeah, I'd listen to that argument, but I think that's like a, it feels like a natural evolution of that.
0: Well, and mental is just so much more than non-linear. Yeah, you know, like that's the thing is there's lots of non-linear Absolutely. films, but it's not. It's yeah.
2: Well, and I think like Usual Suspects is a good comparison because it's sort of an unreliable narrator. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's hard to say Leonard's not a reliable narrator because right. he's trying to be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kind yeah of totally.
0: Thing.
2: But. Yeah, I think it's so different in the usual suspects. It's like, here's the twist. Yeah. And then you're like, whoa, now I need to think back. Whereas this one, every time a scene starts or ends, yeah. like he wakes up with the ball. I don't yeah. feel and I think and like, that think
1: I think you just nailed it too. I think the the unique thing is that he's trying to be reliable there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's cr- that's really unique in terms of, of these kind of stories now that we've seen more of them, more of them. Totally. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, and you trust him the whole way. Like he yeah. trusts his notes and you trust his notes. And you don't find out till the end that he's lying to himself to make himself yeah. happy and give himself purpose. We're,
1: yeah. Remind me to come back to that because we're still talking about this thing. But that's my favorite Nolan thing and I want to talk about it.
0: We'll come back to it. Yeah. Um. So for context though, just to, to be really clear, you you think that's his best film? Or is that your favorite film? That's, yeah. That sounds like the It could be blasts. the same. Yeah. Yeah. But... In a
2: lot of ways, yeah. I'd, I'd say both.
0: Both. <gasps> It's pretty okay. solid. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's
1: pretty solid. Do you want to go next, or yeah, uh, this was a, almost almost a no brainer for me. Uh, favorite movie, Prestige. Okay. Yeah. Can't argue. I just love the theme of it so much. The, the sure. setting, all of it. Uh, and best is honestly, you could uh, you could sit me down and you could make me waffle between Inception and Interstellar. Between the two of them, Interstellar probably not as tight as a movie in terms of the the actual storytelling part of it, mm-hmm. uh, but as the evolution of him as a visual director, ah, it's pretty hard to top. Yeah, uh, Interstellar, um, absolutely. So those two, but I think it, I'm, I'm I'm I lean towards Inception. Fair enough, because again, uh, something else I want to talk about later as well.
0: Okay. <laughs> um, uh, I would agree that Inception is my favorite film of his for sure. Yeah. Uh, again, given my backdrop. Yeah. Um, but I think Dunkirk is his, is his best film. Wow. Um, and in particular, in particular with Dunkirk, to too, I think that it's, uh, it's just because it's pure story. Uh, you, there's, you don't know any of the characters' names and it doesn't matter. They're just, um, it, they're, they're elements in the story. You're not following their individual stories in the same way. Oh, and, and they're not individuals. The point of it is to be a representation of the, of soldiers in the war as a whole, as opposed to, uh you know, let's follow private first class. Ryan Harry Styles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so I, I think Dunkirk does amazing things uh, in, in terms of how films are made and yeah. in terms of how stories are told. So uh, that I would argue that's, that's really a,
1: solid. I, I can't fault that at all.
0: Um, but so am I right to assume that we're all sort of on the same page that, that Nolan is a, uh, is a, Modern genius, as far as directors are concerned, uh, that he's uh, like we, we'd all be plenty happy just to sort of gush about him for an hour. Yeah, yeah, Gosh.
1: he's he, he's you'd be hard pressed to convince me he's not in the top five of modern directors.
0: Yeah, so I I guess my argument is is I don't know if I need to say if I have anything to add to the discussion of here are all the good things about Nolan. Um, so personally. I'm probably happy to just hop into some of the, the issues I have with him or we can discuss that. Now, that being said, if you guys want to have an opportunity to gush about him, uh, you know, I wouldn't say a particular movie, but if you want to, you know, now's the chance. I'll go. <laughs> I'll go.
1: I just want to make sure I'm saying it right. And I want to make sure that I'm in my head. I'm, I'm, I'm getting the point across. Uh, I think... A lot of they, he has a lot of isms, like a lot of Nolan isms. Sure, like you can you know on screen what it looks like and how he's doing it. You know what the kind of characters are. I think the most underrated thing that he does that I absolutely love is the is the stuff that Sean kind of touched on earlier with Leonard's narrative. Um, so often when a director or a storyteller or a writer looks for a, a twist or a mystery, they hide things. Uh, they, they hang things on the wall and hopefully you see them and hopefully you don't. And I think the best the the, the most the most Nolan thing that I love is that you only see what the characters see. Mm. Uh when there's a twist. So in in Memento you are absolutely uh, What's the word here? Uh, you're absolutely following Leonard along because you're invested because you see what he sees. Yeah, so you're locked into his perspective. You're locked into his perspective. Uh, and, and it's the same in Inception. It's the same in The Prestige. Nothing nothing is a mystery box. And, like, it, 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 there's, yes, there's going to be a mystery. And that maybe that's why they don't feel like mystery movies, is because you follow a character and you only see what they see. Sure. So you're what's brilliant about a Nolan film is you're sitting there and you're you're dissecting you're trying to figure it out at the same time, but it's not like it's not like a weird unique twist movie where you're trying to figure it out from the beginning. Oh, it was the bad guy the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You 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 watch it from a character perspective and you're going through it, and he puts the thought process in you because you're following the character, hmm. and it's just a weird underrated thing that I think.
0: I don't think people do well, or people don't do. Fair enough. Yeah. That's... yeah it's definitely easier to uh, show the audience some of those reveals or um, you know, do a little bit of a little did he, did he know sort of thing, and yeah. we get a perspective from the villain's point of view yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. We see that uh, the forces of evil are uniting to uh, combat our protagonists. But yeah, you're right. We, we're constantly locked into their perspectives. Yeah, so like again, I
1: I watched uh, I watched Interstellar last night sure. to kind of prepare for this, and because again you're just watching it through Cooper's perspective, the, oh, the I guess spoilers I, guess, again, I just where are we at with that spoilers <laughs> for a seven year old s- movie eight year old movie eight year old movie yeah like uh, like Matt Damon's turn like you see it from Cooper's perspective only. And then the other the other stuff is happening as all the where all the other characters are and you, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't it doesn't register and it, I think you pick it up pretty quick sure but it is just as Cooper is realizing it as well yeah and I think that happens a lot in Nolan films and I like that a lot and the even Batman stuff even the Batman stuff you you figure it out when he figures it out and he walks you through the process yeah and uh, I think I appreciate that because I'm I I hate mystery boxes now I think I think twisty movies are
0: cheap yeah or it can be yeah
2: yeah and i think with that it's cool how he really makes you think about the whole movie yeah in a lot of ways and all the little things along the way because you feel like you
1: lived it yeah Yeah. and it's
2: very much an experience versus oh there's the twist nice twist i didn't see it coming it's like it really makes you think
1: yeah and because you're personally invested that twist is either heartbreaking or it actually feels like a personal
0: thing sure it doesn't just feel like a twist so yeah well and it's weird because we keep talking about twists but I, I don't think he is a director that is necessarily associated with twists either. And that's exactly yeah. why you know yeah. um, and well but be, beyond that even like it's not like all his movies have twists which no. first of all makes a twist in a movie um, more w- rewarding if mm. you didn't expect like you know you go see a Shyamalan movie yeah. and you oh. just expect like it's like ah, okay when's it gonna <laughs> come you know um, yeah, no you um, don't go see a Shyamalan yeah, movie. <laughs> <no, maybe laughs> <don't>. um <laughs> But it, so at least with Nolan, like there's always depth to it, but you don't expect necessarily that there's going to be something yeah. hidden, you know. Yeah. Um, that's actually kind of a, a good segue into some of one of what what I was going to talk about. Um, is there a concern with Nolan's films that they're too intellectual? Um, I because uh, I think that's what he's been known as is the as a smart director, and and he makes um, uh, big budget actioneers in a lot of cases. Um, and, but they are intellectual. However, given the fact that as far as I'm concerned, tenant was, you know, I wouldn't say quite abysmal, but, um, not what I want in a Nolan film. Uh, is it too much? You know, I, I think their interstellar made a lot of isolated, a lot of people as well um there was a lot of people that said they didn't understand inception which i didn't ever personally have a problem with and i thought was kind of strange like i thought it was pretty they held your hand through a lot of it i didn't think it was too confusing but interstellar i can absolutely understand someone losing track of that um is it too much i you know it worries me about Oppenheimer, which is his upcoming film and supposed to come out in 2023 is that going to be something where the average moviegoer isn't going to be able to enjoy
2: i think it's interesting (laughs) um yeah, I mean, I guess the box office numbers say no. He's not sure. kind of too cerebral in, in the movies. But yeah, I think it's it's a weird mix, I find. Like, Inception, I thought, was fairly straightforward. Like, they really explained it. Yeah. Memento is something I think I needed to rewatch the first time. And I was like, whoa, wait. Yeah. And things like that. But most things I think he explains quite well. But I'm worried about the direction he's going a little bit. Like, So I watched Tenet for the first time last night. First time, yeah. yeah, and it kind of frustrated me when they're kind of setting up the whole thing, and uh, the protagonist is like reverse shooting the bullets, yeah. And I think one of the lines is just, Yeah, don't try to understand it, just feel it. And I was like, Oh, we're just copping right good, out here, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they kind of doubled down with he, where he's shooting again, he's like, Whoa, what's happening? And she's like, You're catching the bullet, and it just is like, Okay, you just over explained this without explaining and yeah it God, felt you guys, really you, you got to read more quantum physics books man jesus <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i think like ultimately i think it's refreshing i think he'll bring i like sitting down and being like i'm going to have to pay attention to this movie yeah. sure like if i go see mission impossible or something i know what i'm there for i'm going to love it it's going to get huge box office numbers But I'm not sitting there like, okay, I need to watch this. Yeah. I guess the prestige starts, are you watching closely? And it's like, you feel, I don't know, I go in and I feel like I have to focus on this movie to understand this movie and really commit to it. And I love that about it. I think it makes it a really unique and special viewing experience. Sure. And I don't think there's enough, I guess, mainstream movies that do that a whole lot. Or mainstream directors. Like Christopher Nolan's is very unique in that. Totally yeah, he makes really high-budget movies that are going to be like this. And apparently the audiences love it. He still gets money to make them. The movies get made. Maybe Tenet was a hiccup, but...
0: Well, and so is that the concern, that Tenet, if, if they he jumps the shark with some of his tropes, some of his uh, intellectualism, um, is that where we're going now? You know, like, I, I think, Brandon and I had first discussed when you first saw the movie that Jonathan Nolan, who's, uh, I think it's his brother? His I can't brother. actually remember. Yeah. Um, uh, who is his frequent screenwriting partner, was not involved in Tenet. And so part of us, like we were speculating, maybe Jonathan's the one that reigns Chris in. Chris is like, oh yeah, we I should think, go back in time. I think it's both, right? That's
1: why I think Westworld sucks. Okay, okay. <laughs> Different discussion.
0: <laughs> I'm not getting into that with you. Um, uh, but so I wonder if the, like, is it's, if we had more movies like Tenet, if this is the direction he goes, are you going to be disappointed?
2: I think so. Yeah. So to me, Tenet felt a lot more like he loved the concept he had. And it's a cool concept. Sure. But it felt almost like he was trying to just set up scenes to be like, oh, what could we do with forward and backwards and a temporal pincer? And yeah. He's like, yeah, oh, yeah. let's just throw that in there 20 times. Yeah. And it felt so much more like almost a proof of concept to me more than mm. a really strong... Nolan story yeah like the rest of them have me hooked through the story start to finish and this one was kind of like cool we have to stop the bad guy and there was payoff in the second half with how everything worked but ultimately it wasn't I wasn't nearly as committed to it because it felt a lot more here's a sweet scene we thought that we could do forward and reverse here's another one and yeah it was really cool But it felt to me a lot more like scenes than a really well-rounded movie. Yeah, totally. Uh,
1: You and I have talked about the concept of this, and we brought it up, uh, thought about maybe using it as an episode and never happened. And Nolan is a really good example of it, is the idea of a director chasing the ghost of themselves. Oh, sure. Right? And if the idea, if Nolan arguably peaks at Inception in terms of of visually storytelling, and all that stuff, and every movie now he feels like he has to go bigger and bigger mm. and bigger because he's chasing the idea. He, well, he's not cha- Yeah, yeah, he's chasing, but he's also trying to just top himself. And if he thinks the peak is Inception, then yeah, it's gonna get more and more ridiculous. Because Inception by itself, a lot of handholding holding stuff, but the the concept, the execution, the, the style, the look of it all. Yeah. Uh, you know, so the the jump. I mean, Dunkirk is probably the little blip in the radar there but the jump from inception to interstellar to tenet it's just conceptually he keeps going bigger stylistically yep. he keeps going bigger uh, visually he keeps going bigger and i just it just feels like he's he's just trying to outdo himself to mixed results
0: well and that's the the dark knight rises problem is he clearly tries to go bigger over dark knight and it just doesn't pay off well yeah. um and and i guess like th- there's been a running joke online that i've seen where uh, because he likes going bigger in Oppenheimer, he's actually going to nuke a place to film that movie. Yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't
1: know if that was real or not. <laughs> I saw that. I'm like, I mean, I I didn't even blink. <laughs> that was the thing. It was like Christopher Nolan asked you if you like, nuke a real place. And I'm like,
0: yeah, I mean, that's in the budget. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but so the bigger and better thing is, is definitely a problem. It's, it's something that yeah. he's thought a, an issue with for sure. Yeah. Um, or not necessarily an issue because there's nothing wrong with bigger necessarily. Sure. But I think it's when it gets a little bit out of control. You know, he doesn't necessarily know how to keep it together. And again, I think Tenet is a great example yeah. of that.
1: But not also like just not being aware of your audience, right? If if Inception has a public image of, of being a, a, a too weird of a movie, and then you go and make Interstellar. You alienate more people, and then you're like, Absolutely. you sit there and you're like, well, I should probably just make Tenant then.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, like
1: there's 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 wanting to do your own thing, and then there's wanting to, there there there's being in tune with your audience and your fans. Yep.
2: So uh, I don't know. Yeah. oh it's interesting all the memes *Tenet* spark too like before it came out and people kind of had the basic concept and they're just like oh it's gonna be a movie you can watch forward and backwards and like upside down and it will be the exact same movie like he's gonna go crazy but like it always sounded positive like i don't think it ever came from the side of i'm not gonna see *Tenet*." absolutely it always seemed to be like it's gonna be crazy and yeah. And
1: we don't ever really know again, right? That was one of the first movies of the pandemic era that was released. Correct. Uh, so we don't know if those numbers or what those numbers mean. Well,
0: and that's really. the thing is he gets away with it, theoretically, yeah. because of the pandemic, that any any blip in his box office numbers can all just be blamed on COVID yeah. uh, versus being blamed on the scope of his film. Yeah. So unfortunately, if that was supposed to be a slap on the wrist a bit of being like, Chris, keep it together, we're not... He won't get that. He, nope. th- he isn't getting that message. So... Um uh I think the next big thing and, and again Tenet is a really really bad example of this. So I think he, his biggest weakness as a director is giving in to probably I would say his ego a little bit. Um and and where I find that really manifests is in sound mixing. Um so Chris has gone on record saying that um that he, in particular in Interstellar and in Tenet, I believe is where he made these comments. Um, he believes that the sound mix adds to a wonderful feeling of physicality. Um, and then moments later, saying a wonderful feeling of scene. Um, and, or no, sorry, not scene, stale. Wonderful feeling of stale. And so that he believes that um, a eardrum bursting noise over top of his dialogue tracks. Uh, to a point where you can't, things are just muddled and ununderstandable, um, adds to his films. And uh, and he thinks he's on the cutting edge of sound mixing. I personally think he's loony when it comes to that particular <laughs> The opinion. pretension in those uh, the comments. Absolutely. And it's sort of like he thinks that this is the start of the talkies. You know, when, uh, oh, we're adding sound in and everyone's saying no. But I'm like, well, no, we're saying no to... Being able to like I, I want to be able to understand what your characters are saying. I think that's valuable. And the fact that you don't think that or that you're okay if that's not the case is mind blowing to me. You don't you don't uh, find the wonderful feeling of your
1: popcorn turning around in your stomach like a clothes dryer <laughs> <laughs> from the reverb. <laughs>
0: um so uh does that affect how you view his film? Like Sean, you just watched Tenet. Last mm-hmm. night, I assume based with on what we talked, you watch <laughs> it with subtitles. Yeah, so like I watched it in theaters, couldn't understand a thing to a point where I'm considering the next time there's a Christopher Nolan movie, going in with one of the closed captioning machines, um, so I can actually understand what people are saying.
1: Watch that nuke go off in subtitles. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Deafening silence intensifies. Yeah. Um. So like, is that, is that a problem with his filmmaking? Do you guys have, is is that make you like him less?
2: I mean, like my first response is get over yourself, but
0: for me or for him, No,
2: for for Chris. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Like, but I, I, I think it's an interesting perspective still to be like, Hey, you know, in real life, if there's a loud sound, it's going to cover up some of the talking. Yeah. So I get where he's coming from and feeling the scene. I just don't think I'll ever find that feeling the scene is more important than understanding the dialogue (laughs) to carry the story out.
0: Totally. So,
2: yeah, if I've seen it 10 times and I understand everything perfectly, I'd be a okay with where he's coming from. But, yeah, I think it is a bit alienating to be like, yeah, you'll figure it out without hearing these lines. (laughs) Hopefully you don't miss a good one. Yeah.
1: I just feel like he's at the point in his career where he's, any kind of criticism he's just going to double down on. <laughs> <laughs> well, that just feels like it. He's just, just like, oh, man, I can't understand Bane. I'm like, and then he's just like, oh, fuck you then. I'm not going to make you understand an entire movie. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like whether he's like, oh, uh, Inception was too hard to understand. I'm like, here's Tenet. Yeah. It yeah. just feels like. I'm or gonna, even Interstellar. Interstellar. Yeah, you know? yeah. I was just like, I'm just going to call him double down from now on. Yeah. You know, I just, he feels like a guy who who, if you criticize it, it's because you didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. And and then he's going to go out of his way to make it worse. And I fall for it. Absolutely. Like, you, we talk about Tenant and stuff like that. We watched it together. Yep. And uh, I remember walking out of the theater and everybody was like, what the fuck was that? And I'm like, I was just like making excuses for him. I'm like, "Oh, it's just it's it's purposely disorienting." I'm like, yeah. "Fuck me." Like I don't yeah. I don't he doesn't need me defending. him. like, but I I just immediately was like, "No, it's Chris Nolan movie. I'm going to I remember you supposed to be good.
0: immediately yeah. saying, "Uh, this is his 2001." And <laughs> yeah. I was like, "Okay.
1: Okay, the in, level of pretension in this room just but, went up several notches." But that's exactly why I said it, right? It was like that it, it probably he probably thinks of it that way in terms of here's 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 a movie that they made. They let me make. Yeah, and I'm going to make the weirdest movie possible. <laughs> I'm going to make it as long as I want. Yeah, I'm going to make it make zero sense. Sure. Uh, short of the monkeys, it's it's it's, it's two thousand. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, that that yeah. movie got made. Yeah, and somebody and then somebody not only did somebody read the script and be like, yes. But somebody read the
0: script like, better give this guy $200 million. <laughs> well, I honestly don't even know if Warner Brothers is reading the scripts anymore. Like, yeah. he's been working with them for, I think, it was probably even before Batman. Uh, but even if it was just Batman, it's been almost 20 years. Um, oh. They will sign off on anything. He prints checks is the yeah. thing. So, for that company, I get it. Absolutely. But I would be willing to bet they literally didn't see a script for Tenet. <laughs> that he was like, I'm making another movie. And not said, know that, how much do you need?
1: I don't know that anybody saw a script for Tenet. <laughs> <laughs> that's my issue with it and like I said I was apologetic about it I still think it's a decent movie I don't know if I feel as strongly about it as I did two years ago when we watched it sure uh, but I, I it's, it's a Nolan movie and it's weird as shit and, <laughs> and like it was it was I, I think I, I've always called it as like it's heavy in the best way like I want my brain to be melted when I'm in a Nolan film sure so I'm one of the few that I, I, I want them to get heavier but that might be the limit that might be my, of the upper limits of what I'd be able to do if he goes any further than that, I think nah, I don't know what I'm watching now I'm on an asset trip I,
0: I think the difference is though interstellar is science wise sound like there is actual yeah that is science backed so the the concepts that they introduce in that film are accurate well that is not at all the case for Tenet unless I am like missed a an issue of uh, What's a science magazine?
2: Damn it. Science is a good one. Oh, is it? Okay. <laughs> Unless I missed an
0: issue of science. There we go. Yeah, yeah.
1: Scientific American? Is that the one?
0: No, oh, I think uh, there literally is one called science. Yeah, there's a journal just called science. Uh, so I was thinking the scientific popular, journal, science. Popular, popular science. It's big science. one. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah,
2: but, yeah, yeah. But, uh, Nature's a good one. <laughs> um, nice.
0: <laughs> so, does Tenet make him just Michael Bay with heart? Whoa. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not saying I think that, but it's a question. Okay. I wish there'd been some
2: loud noises to drown that one out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe he's to something.
1: I'll I'll make sure to put that in.
0: There's just a big <laughs> blah, blah, right over that bar,
1: so he's just Parker's mouth moving with nothing else. But
0: like, isn't that effectively what Tenant comes down to? The climax of Tenant is is a whole bunch of nonsense that doesn't really make narrative sense. Uh,
1: the only thing I would have an uh, the only good argument I have is that it's a different kind of nonsense. Right there's, I think with, with Nolan, at least there's intent, there's intent and purpose for for what's happening. Like it's part of the story. Yeah, but
0: Michael Bay intends to make the movie he makes. Yeah, but
1: that big action sequence doesn't ultimately lead to a lot of stuff. Is my my issue with a lot of his action stuff? It's there because that's where his story beat is. Like it's
0: oh no, it's been two and a half minutes. I better have something explode. Sure, but like arguably isn't that what you were already saying, Sean? About um that. Uh, Tenet feels like him putting together a bunch of cool scenes he wanted. He wanted these set pieces and these concepts. And so he shoves them all together and then draws a line between them.
2: Yeah, a little bit. Like, I think I think it's a higher level concept that he's dealing with. So in that, like, I think it still sets him apart from Michael Bay in that
0: aspect. Sure.
2: But yeah, I'd say Tenet's pretty close to just... Michael Bay could have directed it, I think okay and i think that's the first of chris nolan's movies where i could say that so i don't want to say yeah. chris nolan as a whole it's no, 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 my no 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 but yeah no Tenet, i i see where you're coming from as much as i hated you saying those words initially, <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: so many people are gonna cut and take so much stuff out of context here <laughs> i just don't want to
0: weigh in <laughs> as long as it gets people watching i'll do it <laughs> um fair enough fair enough uh Oh, sorry. Another thing I wanted to ask actually about uh, Michael Bay – or not Michael. Oh, my God. God. Oh. About Christopher Nolan and about sound uh, is uh, does it change how you want to go and see his th- uh, movies? Brandon, you already touched on this, that you want brain melting. But you want brain melting from an intellectual point of view. Yeah. Are you always going to be going to see his movies in, in theaters uh, even if they the sound mixing gets worse? Yeah. He's,
1: yeah? Yeah. Because the visual stuff is too good. And like it sounds simple enough, but like he's the he and, and now Villeneuve are the two guys that I absolutely will go to IMAX for. Sure, and I've I've kind of stopped going. And then IMAX. James Cameron, obviously. Oh, you fuck just. Uh... <laughs>
2: if only Morbius was in IMAX. <laughs> <laughs>
1: if uh, God, I know it's just okay. <laughs> but yeah, like uh, I've stopped going to IMAX for most things. Like things, like certain things will get me out. Top Gun Maverick will get me out for an IMAX. Yeah. Um, but Nolan and Villeneuve are the two guys that I have to go see IMAX for, and so I put myself in a bad situation if the sound mixing is bad, because I'm gonna get wrecked. Yep, I'm gonna, get, but it's not gonna deter me. It won't deter me until, until he makes a bunch of bad movies, until he turns into Michael Bay.
2: Yeah, yeah, fair enough.
1: Right,
0: Sean. <laughs>
2: I'm so scared of that future. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Uh,
0: I mean... Sorry, actually, just for context. Up until Tenet, because of COVID, you had watched all his movies in the theaters, right? Yes. Like the ones that you were aware of. I
2: guess Batman Begins On, I saw in theaters. Okay. So, yeah, I was always a big Chris Nolan and the theaters guy. It's interesting because Tenet, I don't feel like I really missed out with the theater thing. Like, well, doing it first at home didn't feel like a, oh, I wish I'd seen that in theaters. Yeah. Whereas Interstellar, for example, was, wow, am I glad I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> in totally. theaters? Like, seeing the black hole and everything was just insane. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So,
2: yeah, ultimately, I think I'd still be a, I'd still see it all in theaters, even if the sound mixing's not ideal. Yeah. I don't think it's usually a deal breaker is the thing. Like, if he's ever setting up something vital to the movie and you understanding it, I feel like he doesn't cover that sound too much. Like, you can still hear the dialogue for that. Again, I didn't see Tenet. I was about so I, don't, to see Tenet I, don't, I don't know what part was covered, <laughs> yeah. but
1: this is about the whole damn thing. Tenet
0: was really bad for it. Now, granted though, Tenet is also ununderstandable even when you can hear what they're saying. Like it, it I, I think it's kind of just nonsense a lot of what they're making up and so it's not like it would been it, it would have been explained. Yeah. Um I the the red flag for me is the Bane stuff. Um because the Bane we finally got in you know, theatrical releases were uh he was still, there were still problems. And there was definitely moments where I'm like, I didn't understand what he said. Um, but that was cleaned up. Like, Nolan didn't want that version to be released. So the fact that he was ready to, like, I probably understood, let's say, I would say 70 to 80% of what Bane said. It, the first time I see it in theaters. Um, but he was ready for that to be 50 because so the very first time he released that, um, the bumper, the opening scene yeah. in, in IMAX theaters, that's the unedited one, right? Uh, that's the that's the way he wanted Bane to sound, and I probably understood about ten percent of what Bane said. Now, granted, yeah. it's a busy scene; there's lots going on, um, uh, and so there would be scenes that would be better than that in the actual finished film. But if I was to get to the get through that movie and understand exactly half of what Bane, Bane was saying, that would be tough. Like, I didn't have a Bane
1: issue. At all? At all? Like not in the preview? Not even the preview? Really? I thought that's I was, shocking. Yeah, I didn't have an issue. Uh, no, it didn't bother me. So I, I was weirded out when when it started. People started complaining because I didn't have, I didn't, I didn't struggle with it. Huh. Even with the, even with, yeah, even with the preview. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. fair enough.
2: I'm right with Parker there. Probably ten percent in the preview. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I get like, it
1: though. Like the plane's loud and and things are happening and I, I, I but I, yeah, I didn't have an issue with it.
2: It's weird because. Also, re watching it, like if you watch a comparison now, yeah, yeah. I can understand every word he says because I know the lines and the context yeah, 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 and yeah. everything. So, yeah, it would be weird if Nolan overlooked that and just kind of went, Yeah, I understand it fine. Like, this is okay. But he's also probably, I think he wrote the script for that. Yeah, he wrote it and probably filmed
1: it. it. Oh, maybe, maybe the once because
0: it was a practical. Mm-hmm. That one was only once. Yeah. Yeah. It was practical. Yeah. So,
2: but yeah, I could see where he's coming from. Like, Oh, yeah, I know, I know it. I can hear it fine. Yeah. But it's like, <laughs> Yeah, I guess I'm glad he listened to the feedback though. <laughs> no Oh
1: uh, yeah, unless uh,
0: unless do you, do you know if he mixes the sound by himself like himself? No, it's him and um uh, shoot. The cinematographer is um It's not
2: Wally Fister. Fister.
0: Yeah, yeah, thank you. Oh my god. Wally Fister. Um so it's the two of them and then it's uh Zimmer as well, just because he's used Hans Zimmer as the um, soundtrack for everything, and so typically when they're uh, when they're actually editing, uh, I know he uses. There's another editor, but he is in on the final cut, obviously. Yeah. Um, and uh, but yeah, he brings in those guys to make sure that the sound levels are right. But I remember him talking about Interstellar in particular and talking about how Zimmer um, basically when they were designing the store for it, uh, there's a whole bunch of things that they're that by default their programs and stuff filter out So there's certain levels the reverb stuff they filter all these frequencies out uh, and that's just normal for the human ear and they just said screw it and they reset all those filters um, and so that's what makes that reverb and that physicality of the sound yeah um but that's him and zimmer trying to be cutting edge in terms of a soundtrack and cutting edge in terms of sound design when again for an average viewer uh, or even more than that, I'd say for most viewers, ninety-nine percent of people, it's annoying more than anything. I think, um, and so it is a decision made by multiple people. Yeah,
1: it feels like a social experiment, though, to be honest with you. Because, like, again, watching Interstellar last night, where in big moments the that reverb kicks in, and uh, there are moments when I don't like it, and then there's moments that make me do this, like lean up. Yeah. And, like, lean yeah. in closer. I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> so I get it. I get it. But it does feel like throwing it at the wall and seeing what parts of it stick. Sure. Uh, and I don't know if that's purposeful or not.
0: Yeah, I get the impression that he doubles down, like you said. Yeah. So I think he's more uh, drinking his own Kool-Aid a little bit. You know, and that he, I, I don't know if he's going to back down from it now that he's done it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is
0: is the sound like your biggest gripe then? Um, with him is in yeah. general, no. Um, <laughs> I I have some issues with how he he writes. and uh, maybe not films, but writes women. Uh, given that it, basically every one of his movies, I think literally all of them, um, are are his. He's involved in the script, um, uh, and the story. Uh, with the exception of maybe uh insomnia, which I know is. Uh, adapted from a book Um, so I think there was a little bit more of the uh, author in there anyway um, uh, I I don't think he knows what to do with women Uh, and I basically can divide up uh, most of his films into three categories as uh, having no women at all uh, which is following and Dunkirk Uh, women are dead slash inspiration for the main character which is Memento, Batman Begins, Dark Knight, and Inception. Uh, and few to Know women, uh, where they basically don't matter at all. Uh, but they do technically exist in the movie, uh, which is Insomnia, Prestige, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, and Tenet. Um, I even looked up, I went on my way to look up which movies of his passed the Bechdel test, which for those that don't know is the um, based on an original comic, Anyway, the in order to pass, you have to have two named female characters that have a conversation with each other in the film uh, that involves something other than men. Uh, and every one of them fail, with the exception of four. And the four that pass uh, are on are ridiculous. So he's got Dark Knight uh, Ramirez, who is one of Gordon's cops, <laughs> talks to barely named (laughs) uh yeah but she is technically named she talks to martha gordon uh on the phone and says that jim's not coming home but she's at gunpoint the joker is holding her at gunpoint uh so in a lot of ways a man is telling her what words but they're still talking about a man yeah um oh yeah yeah oh no so so i don't know if actually she talks about she says take the kids right so Uh it's mainly but you're right it is it passes, but by the slimmest of margins, and yeah. I think it's more of a technicality than not. Sure. Yeah,
2: the context is all about Jim. Yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely. Like, technically, he's not yeah. mentioned.
0: Um, uh, in Inception, uh, Maul and Ariadne discuss uh, love, uh, and she Maul lectures Ariadne about you don't understand. Uh, now, again, it's a weird technicality because Maul isn't real, <laughs> and she is a manifestation of Cobb's memory of her. So if it, it really Ariadne is talking to Cobb, <laughs> so probably shouldn't pass interstellar. Uh, we get Murph and Brandt have a discussion in the NASA headquarters and they actually talk about NASA as a thing. So that's like the one where I'm like, okay, you guys, yeah, you pulled it off. Nice. And then yeah. dark Knight rises, uh, Selena, uh, and her sidekick who, do you guys remember her having a sidekick?
1: Yeah, I do. But she's do you not know named?
0: her? She is named. Yeah, you, is clearly. It like, is it the comic? I don't know. What, is it? What is it? What is the comic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Selena and Holly. Yeah, that's it. It is okay. Yeah, um, I forgot it. So and they, <laughs> I they forgot s- there's a sidekick. So I know. Yeah, she has the definitely. apartment in the,
1: right after the the first heist. I
0: believe she, uh, it's played by Juno Temple is who it is. Um, But they speak briefly uh, and they talk and basically Selena tells her to get out of his life. Uh, And so, the fact that that's where we're at with female characters and especially when he has killer female characters. You know, Anne Hathaway has been in multiple of his movies. Um, uh, We got Jessica Chastain in there. Uh, Like, he has um, Hilary Swank in Insomnia and I literally forgot she was in the movie. She's actually one of the leads. She's the other cop. That's what I mean. And she's just not memorable to me. Yeah. Um, so I I don't know if it's specifically that he doesn't know how to write women because I don't think it's that problem. Uh, it doesn't come across that they're just sex objects. Um, but, you know, we literally have Dunkirk, which is a movie featuring only men. Two women are technically in the movie and they are nurses and they say nothing and they are not named. Granted, no one is really named in that movie, yeah. but it is... Astounding to me that that can even happen in a modern setting. um And again, I choose to lay the, the blame at the at his feet in terms of his writing, but maybe he just really likes movies about dudes. <laughs>
1: There's something to be said about like I know in in a current social climate, you want people want women being written by women, and those things. And maybe it's just he's just a dude that knows his strengths and weaknesses. If he's like, I don't... Maybe I don't deal with a lot of women, so I don't know how to write women.
0: I think it's such a cop-out. Sure. Right? But... You know, like, I I don't mind when men write women personally. In some cases. Like, I think that there's... If you've got a uh, a movie that's 80% female, yeah, you should probably have a woman on the writers... In the writers' room, at least, you know? Um, uh, But... If... 50% of humanity and he's just like uh, uh, that's weird.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I didn't I didn't realize like that pretty much none of his movies passed the test. Yeah. But yeah. And And I think it surprises me too because he works so closely with his wife like who produces literally everything he puts out.
1: Yeah. But doesn't write anything.
2: No.
0: Isn't a writer. Correct.
2: No, but just would have a decent amount of say in how the movie kind of pans out. It just kind of seems shocking and tone deaf to like really still not Try do it, it, it or not be able to do it. Yeah. yeah. If it is just, he can't. I don't Who's, who's, the, the, know. who's the
1: female in attendant? Guys. Is there one?
0: Yeah. Uh, um, the actress? Yeah. I keep thinking it's Elizabeth Dipnicki, Dip, but I'm actually not oh, even yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, Dipnicki? What's her name? I don't know. But Something she's, close She to also
1: doesn't really, doesn't amount to much. Right? Doesn't pass mustard.
2: Yeah. We have, and we have the... The one scientist at the beginning to set up, hey, time right. goes backwards for these inverted things. Right, right, right. Oh, right. uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, but I,
0: that's
1: it. So Interstellar is probably like the best example of his best versions of female leads.
0: Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. And by far. Like a lot. Yeah. Um, because Anne Hathaway is, you know, or Anne Hathaway and Jessica Chastain, I would say, share pretty near to equal billing with um with mcconaughey i don't actually know if it's literally <laughs> equal billing um but uh but in terms of screen time and in terms of character significance they are right up there um arguably like there's literally a joke made at the end of the movie that uh you know cooper flies back to murphy station uh or is it murphy yeah station oh sorry Cooper's his last name. Damn it. Cooper flies back to Cooper Station and then finds out. And he's like, wow, you named a space station after me? And they're like, no. (laughs) And so it's, you know, like, there's a moment there where you're like, oh, maybe you recognize the fact that you rely too much on men. Like, those jokes seem that he's a little bit more feminist facing. No. Granted, this isn't a Christopher Nolan problem. This is a Hollywood problem. Oh, for sure. You know, like... I don't want to blame him here. There's lots of movies that don't pass the Bechdel test, and that's not exactly a, the perfect test of feminism in film either. But, but it is a pretty it low is a bar, bare minimum. That's the thing. Yeah. So I I don't know. It really bothers me, and the fact that we keep going back to the dead wife thing, uh, and that's the motivation, is unfortunate. And it's the chasing their ghosts thing, like you've mentioned yeah. a couple times, is the the feeling of oh god, like w- women only exist. You know, like it, arguably, Inception, like you mentioned, is his best film. Yeah. Maul is only there to motivate him, and yeah. it's his demon. It's literally, you know, like, uh, and I have I have a big problem with it. Apparently, well, <laughs> but to be fair, it's uh,
1: bringing it to light is a big thing because I I don't know, I don't know if we notice it if you don't really tear it apart. The way you do. Like I said, those four instances are barely instances. Yeah. In in a, in a catalog of movies, especially because those movies aren't short movies. Yeah. You know, you're given three hours to pass this test. And you don't. And then when you do, it's, it's by the skin of your teeth. Yeah. Uh, so that's problematic. I don't have a good... Like, I don't want to make it sound like that was an excuse that I gave him. Like, he, he's not good at writing women... And all that stuff. I don't want to make that excuse for him. If he wanted to do it, he could probably do it and he could try or he can learn or he could bring somebody on. Yeah. Or he can bring somebody on. But at the end of the day, like in my mind, I'm like, Am I cool with him Am I cool with him not knowing how to write women and not bothering to try? Or am I
0: would I rather him try and do a shit job of it? I think I'd like him to try once. You know, yeah, like I think Give that's, it a whirl. Yeah. You know, like you you gave us Tenant. Yeah. Like we know you can put out garbage. <coughs> so, um, man, this this is a tenant just slout. You guys are getting dunked on this episode. <laughs> it's it, it's just for the record, I truly do love this the movie this guy puts out. And and I did enjoy Tenet more than this episode would would seem. Um but it is very noticeably the worst of the pack, and by a lot. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it's his worst movie.
2: Well, I think, I think uh, what, what's really bugging me the more I think about this, now that you've said it, too, is just all of his movies are a big team of people. Like, take Inception. There is no reason that had to be pretty much all guys. Like, yeah. it would be so easy for Arthur to be played not by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yep. And it wouldn't really make a difference at all. I loved him in it. I'm sure I'd love plenty of women in that same role, and I'm it's totally. very doable. They yeah. could have the same slickness and I guess, accomplish the same things he did yeah. in that movie. And, yeah, I guess Interstellar's pretty similar. Like, yeah, any member of the, the crew could have been female as well.
0: Yeah. Now, so in, it's like in Interstellar, there's only four on the crew, right? Uh, six Is it four? Out of the two robots. Uh, but four people. Yes. Right? Okay. <laughs> um, and so, like, I, I give him a little bit of credit with Interstellar just because, you know like sure he could it could have been 50-50 but i don't i don't need him to do of exactly purpose, 50-50 either And from you everything know, you're like, telling me he was going to put a, a
1: he'd put in a second female and it would have been the one to die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: <laughs> uh, um well and and an even more uh, uh present news uh, the the main female in uh in inception has now transitioned. So like <laughs> Man, he managed to even pick someone that clearly wasn't a female inside either. Shout out to you, Elliot. (laughs) Here for you. Um, That's my whole rant on women. So if anyone wants to,
1: so there's what do we have in Oppenheimer? It's going to be the same problem, right? According to
0: according to the cast list, it's the same issue. Ninety percent men. Yeah. Yeah. Now, again, to give him a little bit of credit. My understanding about what that movie is going to be... Like, it's effectively a biopic. I don't know if it actually is truthful enough to be a biopic. Um, but, you know, they have to take from that guy's actual life. And he was surrounded by guys a lot. You know, like, what he's known for was science stuff. And women basically weren't allowed to do that at the time. So, yeah. there is at least in that case a little bit more of a, a reason why it would just male heavy and the same with Dunk, Dunkirk uh, is that it's it's about soldiers um could he have stood to spend a little bit more time in the medical tent so we have uh, a feminine presence for longer than 10 seconds yes he absolutely could have but I get why you know the cast probably should be 90% men if yeah. you're talking about a war film yeah. but now now are we thinking he's picking these projects?
1: <laughs> yeah, specifically, like <laughs> it's a little sus. Yeah, I mean, it's tough, right? Like you, you, you don't see it, you bring it up, and now that's all I'm seeing. Yeah, and there's and there's less and less to defend. Totally. uh Like I'm, I don't know if I'm as hurt as Sean is right now. <laughs> <laughs>
2: a little rattled. Well, I was watching Memento, little... and yeah. I was like, "Oh, Carrie Ann Moss is so good," and then you're like, "Oh." No strong female characters. It's like, yeah, she never talks to another woman in that movie, and she's kind of just a horrible person. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, I, I guess it's hard to but, talk to another woman. You're the only woman in it. Well, and
0: how isolating <laughs> is that got to be on? Uh, like a, a lot of his films, especially because he tends to uh, uh, bring stick with the same cast. You know, like he always brings Michael Caine back. Um, Tom Hardy's been in multiple films. Joseph Gordon-Levitt has been in at least two, playing different characters. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I'm not. I'm not going to list Christian Bale because he's been Batman in three films. You know, I mean different characters. Sure, um, Killian prestige. Murphy. Yeah. Uh, wait, what?
2: Oh, sorry. Just Christian Bale was in the Prestige as well. I can't. Oh, remember. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. said I'd call him returning.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um. Great. Uh, so how hard is that to then show up and be uh, whoever this lady is in Tenet I think it's Elizabeth Dipnicki or De- Deb. But I'm also thinking now I'm thinking about that adorable kid from Jerry McGuire. So that's
1: Jared Lipnicki.
0: Yeah. See, I think I'm think <laughs> i mixing them a bit anyway. Um, is how hard or? is it to walk onto a set like this? And you've got the boys club of guys that have worked together for 10 years. Yeah. You know, like you got Tom Hardy, like not on tenant, but like broing around with Chris. As far as I understand, they're good buddies. Yeah. And man, you were the only woman walking around there. Other than Chris's wife. (laughs) I
1: you bring up a good point. But there's a reason, there must be a reason why
0: somebody like Anne Hathaway comes back, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Uh, And I think for someone like Anne, she's probably got to this point in her career realizing the fact that Hollywood is a boys club. So is
1: it you know so like you said earlier this is not just a Christopher Nolan problem it's definitely yeah. not absolutely yeah. not and
0: I would argue he's not even the worst at it but I think the fact is is people do laud him with praise which he deserves but these the the few things he does poorly need to be highlighted and, and, and it's worthwhile to, to talk about these things yeah. you know and I don't think people really are well no apparently yeah <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> <laughs> um so, to, to pivot it slightly, I just touched on a little bit. Um, do you guys think that him bringing back the uh, same people causes a, an element of lack of originality between his films or our sameness? You know, is this, does is he going to fall in some of the uh, um, Tim Burton problem of, you know, oh, every movie's got to have Johnny Depp and uh, <laughs> a Helena Bottom Carter? You know, like, does it eventually feel wrote
2: I think he skirts the issue just because the the main character is typically someone fresh to an extent like Matthew McConaughey sure we've got Leo like yep. he's got so many unique main characters that I honestly kind of sit there being like oh when's Michael Caine gonna show up yeah yeah, Where, yeah. where's Killian Murphy like mm. I don't mind it at all and I think I, I think it avoids the Tim Burton situation because he brings in so many different people as mm-hmm. well like it's almost cameos yeah. At this point, yeah, fair so, enough. Having a big name cameo is kind of fun, typically.
1: Yeah. The Michael Caine is the only issue I have.
0: Oh, you have an issue with him? Popping just up.
1: like I love Michael Caine, and I think he's great in all the movies. But other than Alfred, he's he's just the same guy. In the middle of the movie, he's just gonna pop up, give the main character the thing he's supposed to do, and then peace out. Uh, you know. Uh, and it, I don't like name name wise. I'm just he he's just Michael Caine in Tenet or he's just Michael Caine in The Prestige or yeah. he's just Michael Caine in Inception well
0: okay hold on I think he he is uh, got a bigger role in The Prestige though yeah 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 you know, like sure I, but I think I, I, think I think I just think I just think
1: he's the one that I think of that that starts to blend as one mm. one thing when I see him I'm like he he's the one that sometimes takes me out of it because he just feels like Michael Caine fair enough because he's the one that comes back the most often for the same spot in his movies.
0: Yeah. And I guess Killian is always someone different. You know, Scarecrow is very noticeably a different, uh, character than, um, Oh God, (laughs) (laughs) I can't think of any of his other characters. (laughs) Yeah. Like
1: Tom Hardy in Inception is not Bane. is like what we're saying, right? We're just going (laughs) to, I'm still going to keep the camera on
0: you though. (laughs) Well, I'm just going to keep talking. (laughs) Wow. This is brutal. This is brutal. Uh yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Um and and actually the cool thing with Killian Murphy too is uh we're I, right back to it. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I actually had a better another point in here. Uh I actually think he is he uh he shifts nicely even between those films cuz he's I think the only one other than, you know, obviously Batman and and Alfred uh that are in all three movies. I think Gary yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, yeah but other than the, those three he's yeah. the only one in all three films and he shifts nicely uh, to a point where it doesn't even feel ridiculous I find he there's a place for him in each of them and, and I think he's always doing something a little bit different you know yeah, like yeah, yeah, the yeah. first film he's actually a villain and you know it is, is a main threat second film he's sort of like kind of acting in the, in the background right like isn't he selling drugs or something no he gets caught in the car at the beginning yeah but isn't what is he doing in that car oh no it's it's weapons isn't it he's selling something yeah uh it might even just be the fear toxin but like he's gone from you know scourge of gotham (laughs) to like you know parkade van deals zapped in the back of a budget van (laughs) yeah (laughs) and then in the third one he shows up as a as a judge for all of uh gotham's wicked uh and that's great like oh man yeah, so I asked the question, but I fully love the <laughs> fact that he keeps pulling these people back <laughs> personally. <laughs> yeah, um, and then what about uh, in this sort of the same vein, lack of variety in terms of his uh, his concepts? You know, like a lot of his movies come down to again we have the we have the dead wife, um, we have uh, manipulation of time or manipulation of space, but typically it's time. You guys yeah, obsessed with time. Um, does that end up feeling? again, wrote, does it feel like the same, more of the same? Or do you think he does enough differently?
2: I think Tenet was sort of <laughs> got a
0: dunk on it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But
2: I think it was the first one where I really felt like, okay, he just wanted to keep messing with time. Because mm. I think a lot of his projects lately have been different enough. Like I know Dunkirk was time focused again, but yeah. I loved how the timelines worked. And it felt fresh for him still. I thought it wasn't quite the same as I guess what he'd done before
0: at that point. Point, and so. the time isn't isn't front and center with that. Like it yeah. is, it definitely is, and there's cool timeline stuff. But it's like, yeah, it's not literally the point, the plot, you know?
2: Yeah, exactly. But I thought that's what set it aside too. Like, sure, there's tons of war films out there, and this this one felt really fresh because of it. Totally, but it wasn't in your face. Hey, time! This is a Chris Nolan movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I really liked that there, and yeah, I think I think ultimately, like, I'm I'm stoked for Oppenheimer too because. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm stoked because it's not such a... I guess it could be a time-focused thing. We haven't seen it yet. Yeah. But it feels like a biopic will be very different to what he's done before. Yeah. And I'm excited for it because I know it'll be something new, I think. Yeah. Like when he took on the Batman movies. Totally. He really revolutionized superhero movies.
0: Yeah, absolutely did. Yeah.
2: In such a way. So I think that's the thing for me is I always trust him to bring something fresh. Maybe I didn't like it as much. Like... Again, Tenet was like a well, it was it just felt like more of yeah, an action yeah, yeah, movie, sure. but it was a fresh take. Still. Yeah. But that was kind of the least fresh compared to Interstellar, yeah. or Inception, or The Prestige.
1: Yeah. I I do I do wish we could get away from the the tortured soul main character. Tortured man in particular. Tortured man mm-hmm. in yeah. particular. I like and that's that's even Batman, right? Like I just that, that hasn't changed us three movies of a dude struggling over his uh, his, his mental trauma. And well, so and, like, well, and
0: arguably the mental trauma is about his maybe wife <laughs> Rachel in you know uh two-thirds of that trilogy yeah. so uh
1: so I I do I do wish there was I, we could get away from that a little bit I need mean, like maybe it's and that's just comes down to maybe there's a different type of motivation yeah so I'm excited for Oppenheimer because Again, it's a biopic, and unless you know there's a dead wife there, and we don't know about. Yeah, <laughs> I have not looked up. Yeah, the guy. I'm not, not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not up on my opes, but like, <laughs> 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 uh, but, uh, I don't know if he's got a dead wife that made him make a, n- a nuclear bomb. So I don't. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's just a tale of revenge. Just a tale, yeah. <laughs> This is a Chris Nolan's Oppenheimer. Uh, just killing Nazis. <laughs> uh, uh, that's the one trope I wish he would stray from. I know, or I'd like to see a different take on Huh.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, uh, so I'm going <laughs> to... Oh, no. Yeah. Poor so Tenet. I can feel like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, it's not even about Tenet, uh, actually. Um, so <laughs> you may not have known this, uh, either of you, uh, but Christopher Nolan was uh, one of two people responsible for uh, uh, Man of Steel's story. Yeah, uh, uh, so it's him and David S. Goyer, and then Goyer is the one that uh, does the screenplay. Sure. Um, does that concern you at all? Uh, the fact that like that's what we end up getting, and uh, in terms of his overall ability, um, you know, given the fact that Man of Steel is generally frowned upon, fr- frowned upon as a film.
1: Well, oh, it feels like uh, it feels like it feels like it's mostly positive. I always get. I get shit from it a lot for hating it as much as I do. So I, I I've never felt like it's frowned upon. I thought it was. I thought I was the outlier. Fair enough, Sean.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Like, I guess I don't know a ton about it. Like to me, it just felt like, ooh, we liked what he did with Batman. We need to do that to Superman. Yeah. Who yeah. can write a dark and, superhero story? Get Chris Nolan on the horn and
0: let's yeah. sort it out. How,
1: do we know how much he actually contributed? We, I, I don't. It, it just didn't. feels like Goyer's taking a lot of credit for that.
0: In, in fairness, though, like he's worked with Goyer before, sure. I don't think he would just chuck Goyer under the bus. Yeah, because they did Begins together, right? Batman Begins. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Goyer was involved in all three of the Dark Knight films, okay. actually, uh, in some capacity as a writer. Yeah. Um. So I I feel like they've can they've collaborated before. If if Chris felt like he did a whole bunch of it, uh, but Goyer went out and said, you know, took more credit for it. I don't think Chris would throw him under the bus either, and be like, "No, no, no, I did all of it." You know, like it's probably one of those things we're never going to know specifically. Yeah,
1: I think I chalk it up to uh, more of a comic book thing than a Christopher Nolan thing. I think this is just a really good, another really good example of of Batman being not more relatable, but a character that's easier to to grasp and to make sure to make make relatable. And I think I think this is just a, another instance of people not understanding the character of Superman, Hmm. which is like a, which is a forever problem.
0: Sure.
2: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like to me, it just feels like, a. I feel like if he's not writing and making his own movie, like something like inception, that's just his baby, like from start to finish, he's going to be producing, directing. He's at the writing table. Like he's there for every bit of it. That's going to get all his love. Whereas something like, hey, can you help us write Man of Steel? We'll give you, I don't know the number, but $30 million to help write this. <laughs> sure. You're not going to say no, but I can't imagine quite pouring your heart and soul into it the same you would with a movie that you are really seeing from start to finish. That's and it fair. is your project. Which I'm yeah. not saying he doesn't have integrity and he just kind of wrote it off. I'm like, hey, there we go. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I just think it would be harder for anyone if it's not kind of your passion project sure. to really nail
0: it and that's a great point like you know we talked about del toro uh, and he is someone that's very similar that if he's not involved in every aspect of it he's he'll definitely contribute but the stuff that he's involved as producer or just as a writer or i find isn't as good as his his stuff for hits his baby the whole time so yeah that's a great point um that's basically all i all i had um you going to take another moment to bag on tenet just one more time <laughs> no actually i i figured i kind of end it off just by saying that this guy's he makes amazing films uh and uh, no listen to this episode <laughs> <laughs> no I, I i think you would though yeah, uh, yeah, and it, truly though um it, i i think you know top five maybe of modern filmmakers i, I don't want to put a list together and i'm not going to so I'm gonna make you one day though you know <laughs> um so i can just keep saying top five about any of the people i talk about and then it's <laughs> you know never get called out um but yeah, I think he's easily up there. Um, and the, the variety of films he has made, the fact that we're getting a biopic, the fact that he made a war film, uh, he's made comic book films, you know, like he, he's clearly uh, got range. Uh, maybe not necessarily range <laughs> the, in terms of the specific story, but
1: the fact that you said he made comic films, and I, in my head I was like, "What what movies were those?" Yeah, is uh, tells you everything you know about Chris Nolan.
0: Well, and I think Sean said it best: is that he uh, revolutionized comic book movies. You know, basically, you don't have an MCU, we don't get Iron Man unless we have Dark Knight. Yeah, well, or I was, sorry, I guess Batman Begins, because they come up. Dark Knight comes out the same year as Iron Man, but you know,
2: yeah, I was reading a bit about this though, and like the Dark Knight, I believe, is the first comic book movie to. Gross over a billion dollars, yeah. With the Dark Knight uh, yeah, Rises being me. the second, and now it's just commonplace. Like I think at least ten Marvel movies have grossed more than a billion dollars. Yeah, it's the, it's the
1: it's yeah. the standard bearer for their top tier ones. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
2: so it's just it's crazy how much he did actually kind of contribute on that side, even if it's not. Yeah, I guess like you said, it's like you don't really associate him as a comic book movie no. director, despite doing three. Yeah,
1: <laughs> so. I also think it's important to like. I like these discussions because there's obviously three of us who absolutely love this dude. Johnny's your favorite director, but none of these guys are bulletproof and they're oh, not yeah. infallible. Right. Yeah, and absolutely. I think it's, I think it's really important to have those discussions to be like, it's okay that they're not perfect. Yeah. <laughs> because I know people get up in arms about that stuff and get overprotective and sure, it gets overly personal. Uh, but it's good. They're only, they're only going to get better if you shit on them. Yeah. At least, I mean, not in this case. Double Down's got a different,
0: yeah, he's got a different <laughs> yeah. mindset. Yeah, so dangerous. Yeah,
1: we're gonna we're gonna make this dude make some real weird movies. <laughs> <by the> <laughs> <next>. <laughs> so.
0: Um. Last question to finish us off, Sean. What uh, what would Chris Nolan have to do filmmaking wise, like not as a as personal a per- bad person, but what would he have to do to make you stop watching his movies? Oh. Ooh,
2: like it would take <coughs> a few bad ones in a row. For yeah, sure. Obviously, I want to see him progress based on what we discussed today, but. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I've got not a good relationship with him personally. Yeah. But I think it's been interesting because he is kind of one of the greats, it feels like. Sure. And he's the, I think he's the first one I got to watch become established. Like Mm -hmm. Tarantino, Scorsese, like they're all people that I picked up on, love their movies, recognize their names, but they were well established before I ever started watching movies. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas this was kind of his, I guess his fourth movie, Batman Begins. Like from there on out, I saw every one of his movies in theaters. So yeah. I guess it feels kind of like I'm finally seeing someone really grow and build. So yeah. It would take quite a bit for me to be like, gah, I can't watch another one. Totally. But I think as long as he's making things feel fresh, which I think is one of his biggest strengths, that whatever he he does feels fresh in some way, there's something new that excites me about all of his projects. Yeah. So I guess it that would be the big thing if he stops and it just becomes kind of cookie cutter or too Michael Bay kind of. Yeah that sort of thing that could definitely dissuade me, but it would take a few like tenant. hasn't made me remotely say I can't, or I don't want to watch Oppenheimer. Like, yeah, I
1: I'm stoked agree. to see that. And yeah, I think the, it'll be a fresh the goodwill day. bank is real full. Yeah. yeah totally. Yeah. Real, real full. <laughs> well, and
0: so you mentioned, sorry, just to pick at this a little bit, but you mentioned, you obviously want to see him improve based on some of the things we talked about. So it, if we focus on just the, the women's side of things, um, if that doesn't improve at all, is that going to be a deal breaker? And I, I don't want to put you on the spot and make you seem like a bad person because let me be really clear, that would not be a deal break for me. I will like if if the, he his way of writing women never improves, I'm still gonna see his movies. Yeah. But it would and would you be more you'd be more aware of it though? Absolutely. And, and mean, you already, already are been aware, aware of it of like, for a few is years. Is gonna be tough for you
1: now.
2: Like yeah, I mean it's something I deeply want, but that's sure. I think that's all of Hollywood, and I don't think I mean I look more at reviews to say I have to watch this movie than I look at does it pass the. Bechdel. Bechdel test. Yeah, yeah. So ultimately, probably not. Sure. Like, that wouldn't have an impact. But it's It's not to say it wouldn't disappoint me. Yeah. It would disappoint me, but I'd be like, well, it's still, I can't wait to see the story he's made and the world he's built here. Totally. All that. So yeah, not a deal breaker, but it would be disappointing.
0: Yeah, fair enough. I all right. Well, thanks so much uh, for being on the show again, Sean.
2: Yeah, my pleasure. Like, this is my first one.
0: No, I mean thanks thank I'm thanking you again. Oh, good. Cool. The thank is the thank Such you is. Double coming double check. Again. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was
1: that was a Nolan time thing. <laughs>
2: ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. A temporal yeah. Pincer. <laughs> <laughs>